Psalm 51 here this morning. And uh, of course, this uh, series that we've been doing on re, um, another, last week we looked at the word redeem, redeeming the time. And this week we're going to look at the word restored. And uh, this is a very interesting word that we find throughout scripture. And I think it's important because all of us from time to time, we need restoration. Um, I think restoration is a theme that we find constant throughout God's word. I mean, that is the whole story that we find from Genesis to Revelation. God is restoring his people. He's restoring salvation in our lives and he's bringing people back to himself. And that's what we're going to look at here this morning. And possibly in 2016, maybe you had some setbacks. Maybe there was some times where disaster struck. Maybe 2016 didn't necessarily turn out the way that you thought it was going to be. And now you're faced with a new year and you're looking at it and you're saying, all right, 2017 is here and I'm going to start doing some things right. I'm going to make some changes and we're just going to start moving forward. But as you know as well as I do, that because we are imperfect people and we live in an imperfect world, many times we collide with disaster. And that disaster, if it already hasn't happened already in 2017, it's probably going to happen pretty soon. So that is why we have to have restoration constantly in our lives. You know, it could have been a disaster because of a relationship. It could have been a disaster uh, because of a tragedy or somebody else's carelessness. Um, somebody was just rude and they just didn't care how, they were, uh, how their life affected you. Uh, maybe it was a setback with your personal walk with Jesus Christ because of a trial or a temptation that happened. Irregardless of what has happened, all of us, myself included, need to be seeking out restoration in our lives. The reality is disasters, tragedies, setbacks, and trials do happen, and we are not immune to their effects. They will happen. They will come into our lives. So what are we supposed to do when we need restoration? Well, that's exactly the theme here of Psalm 51. Here's the backstory of Psalm 51. David is writing this psalm because of a personal tragedy that has happened in his life. Sin has come into his life, and it has caused a disconnect between him and the Lord. Let me kind of read to you what has happened here. And this is out of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. The story that is told to us is, in the spring when the kings normally went out to war, David sent out Joab as servants and the Israelites. They destroyed the Amorites and attacked the city of Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. While he was on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. So David sent his servants to find out who she was. A servant answered, that woman is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. When he came to him, he had sexual relations with her. Then she went back to her house, but Bathsheba became pregnant and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. 
So David sent a message to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to me. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go home, rest. So Uriah left the palace and the king sent a gift to him. But Uriah did not go home. Instead, he slept outside the door of the palace as all the king's officers did. The officers told David, Uriah did not go home. Then David said to Uriah, you come from a long trip. Why don't you go home? Uriah said to him, the ark and the soldiers of Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My master Joab and his officers are camping out in the fields. It isn't right for me to go home to eat and drink and have sexual relations with my wife. David said to Uriah, stay here tomorrow. And today, tomorrow, I will send you back to the battle. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David called Uriah to come to see him. So Uriah ate and drank with David. David made Uriah drunk, but he still not, did not go home. That evening, Uriah again slept with the king's officers. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by Uriah. And in the letter, David wrote, Put Uriah in the front lines where the fighting is worst and leave him there alone. Let him be killed in battle. Joab watched the city and saw where its strongest defenders were and put Uriah there. When the men of the city came out to fight against Joab, some of David's men were killed, and Uriah the Hittite was one of them. Then Joab sent David a complete account of the war. Joab told the messenger, tell King David what happened in the war. After you finish, the king may be angry and ask, why did you go so near the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the city wall? Do you remember who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerobethsha? It was a woman on the city wall. She threw a large stone for grinding grain on Abimelech and killed him there in Thebes. Why did you go so near the wall? If King David asked that, tell him your servant Uriah the Hittite also died. The messenger left and went to David and told him everything Joab had told him to say. The messenger told David, the men of Ammon were winning. They came out and attacked us in the field, but we fought them back to the city gate. The archers on the city wall shot at your servants, and some of your men were killed. Your servant Uriah the Hittite also died. David said to the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't be upset about this. The sword kills everyone the same. Make a stronger attack against the city and capture it. Encourage Joab with these words. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she cried for him. After she finished her time of sadness, David sent servants to bring her to his house. She became David's wife and gave birth to his son. But the Lord did not like what David had done. What happened? How did David's life spiral out of control? I mean, is this the same David that we read about that had a passion after God? The same man that, whose heart was so in tune with God and now his life, it just seems like everything has fallen apart. God is not pleased with David's stance, with what David had done. Later we read that God sends a prophet, Nathan the prophet, to confront David about his sin. 
And David was in desperate need of restoration. David was known for writing several psalms throughout uh, the Bible there. Out of the 150 psalms, 73 of them are ascribed to David's writings. Why is it that in times of desperation, times of restoration, times where it seems that things, when they're falling apart, we always seem to go to the Psalms for help? Could it be because David, a man like us of sinful passions, wrote to God and he knew exactly how to get in tune with God? And we can, we can have the same type of feelings just with like David? It's a possibility. But here David writes in Psalm 51 and he lays out before the Lord exactly what the problem is. And he is seeking restoration in his life. Are you in need of restoration here this morning? I know I'm in need of restoration. I know that I constantly need to be seeking after God. God to be thoroughly examining the inside of me and saying, these things are not right. So these things need to be made right. All of us need to be seeking out restoration. When asked, how are you doing deep down? Do you know things just aren't right? Well, can I tell you that you're in good company here this morning? Because all of us need restoration. All of us need to be seeking after God. All of us need to be seeking his mercy, a clean heart, a renewed spirit, restoring unto us the joy of our salvation. So let's look here at Psalm 51, because David... Obviously, as we just read here, listen to David create, he had like the worst sin possible. I mean, he committed adultery and he murdered somebody. I mean, that's pretty bad. Now, some of us here this morning say, well, I haven't done either one of those, but there are still some things in our lives that we still need to be seeking after restoration for. So let's let Psalm 51 speak to us here this morning and see what the Lord has to say for us. And we'll look at these verses all together, but we'll read them as we go through. But here's our text first. Psalm 51, verse number 12. David writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's ask the Lord to help us here this morning. Lord, we come before you because we are desiring to be restored. We are desiring to see what restoration looks like. And God, I pray that you will search all of our hearts here this morning. Help us to be restored back to you. God, some of us, it may be restoration in a relationship. It might be restoration um, with fellowship with, with other individuals. It might be restoration with walking with you. But Lord, there is a need of restoration constantly in our lives. Things get broken. Things fall apart. Things just seem to stop working. But God, we need to be looking back towards restoration with you. I pray that you will speak to us. May your Holy Spirit just search our hearts in completely so that we can know how to have restoration with you. I pray, Father, if there's anybody here this morning that has not had that restoration experience with having a relationship with you and, and turning from sin and trusting you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you speak to their heart. May you draw them unto yourself. We thank you so much for your love for us, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. So here's David's prayer, and can I say, what a prayer. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. What a request. David knew that there was joy in the Lord. He knew that something had gone missing. I mean, this is the guy that was so in tune with the Lord, and now as God is searching the inward parts of his heart, he knows that something is missing. He knows that something is not working anymore. The joy that was once there has now all but seemed to vanish, and there was no longer joy there in his midst. David's prayer here is not, God, I know that there's something wrong. Will you please fix it? And can I tell you, hurried fixes never produce good results. How many of you are homeowners? How many of you tried to fix things in a hurry? They don't last, do they? You're like, all right, I got it. This, this pipe's not going to leak anymore. And then all of a sudden, psh, <laughs> I should have put that tape on there. I knew I should have done that. So David's just not going, man, you know, Nathan, you're right. Something's not right. So I'm just going to go to God and, God, will you please fix this? David knew there had to be an inward searching of his heart to restore that joy of salvation. Restoration is the goal of our lives. But before there can be restoration in our lives, there must be some work that must be done inside of our hearts. So let's dig into this passage here just a little bit and see that restoration and how it came into being into David's own life. So let's look here. First of all, number one, David's restoration prayer. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51 verses 1 through 2. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What a prayer. David knew that God knew about his sin. He knew about his disaster. He knew about his problems. He knew how the, about the disconnect that was there. But in these very few simple words, David prays to God and he establishes his sin before God. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy on me. Listen to these words as David says them. He says, have mercy. When was the last time before, before we came to God in prayer and instead of saying, Lord, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want, it's just, have mercy on me, oh God. God, I realize my state before you. Have mercy on me. That's what David's state was. He knew that there was an issue there. He knew that there was a problem. David knew that God had seen his wickedness. David knew that God had seen what was in the secret parts of his heart. David knew that as he stood before God, that restoration was needed in his life. And he says, have mercy on me, God. So David prays this restoration prayer. He doesn't just appeal to God because he was caught or because it was the right thing to do. David knew that there was a disconnect where once there used to be fellowship, now was selfishness. Where there once to be, used to be a sweet spirit with the Lord was now seclusion. David says, I need restoration, God. Have mercy on me. I love what David makes his appeal to God. Notice what he says here in this text. He appeals to God by his steadfast love 
and God's abundant mercy. David, knowing his sin, knowing that God knew about his sin, comes before the Lord and says, God, I am appealing to you by your steadfast love and your abundant mercy. David knew that he could make the appeal because he knew that God had steadfast love and his mercy was abundant. You know, I think that's what's so great about the Christian life is the more that we come to know Christ, the more that we come to know about his love, the more that we come to know about his mercy. I mean, David knew about the Lord and he knew about his mercy. He knew about his steadfast love and he knew that he could come to God and say, God, have mercy on me because of your steadfast love, because of your abundant mercy. In James chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible tells us, In his goodness, he chose to make us his own children by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his choice possession. I love that. Yeah, I remember growing up, well, even now with Evelyn, she's got all these toys. I don't know where they came from. I mean, they just seem to molt. I mean, we go, they go into the room, and then we go back in there, and they've multiplied. I don't know what's happened. And some days she has a favorite. Some days she doesn't have a favorite. But here, the Bible tells us that we are God's choice possession. He loves us so much. And David is aware of that. He says, Lord, have mercy on me because of your love towards me. You know, when we confess our sin before God, he is inclined to give us mercy while purifying and washing us from our guilt. And sinful hearts then become clean before God. And so David prays this prayer. And should that not be our prayer for restoration as well? Not, Lord, I messed up. Lord, you know, you know, that person over there, they really, but Lord, why don't we look inwardly and say, God, this is, this is my fault, my fault, God. Not anybody else's, but this is my fault. Lord, have mercy on me. This leads us to this second part of this restoration. Notice here, secondly, what the Bible says here. Restoring purity. In verses 6 through 10, David says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When you think of that word purity, what comes to your mind? In David's case here, the word purity, what do you think that represents? How does the word purity represent us as believers in Christ? Can I ask you a question? What does God delight in? He delights in truth, and he delights in purity. David says this, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, the inside. Not just to be, not just to tell the truth, but to be truthful on the inside. Not to, well, I'm going to tell the truth because it's the right thing to do, but to be truthful. 
You know, there's the old saying that says that you are what you are when nobody else is looking. And how true that is. David here is seeking after truth on the inside of his heart. David wanted to be restored in the secret places of his heart. True repentance, can I say this? True repentance is not satisfied with the knowledge of forgiveness, but goes on to seek restoration of the chaos and the disorder that has brought disaster in our lives. Many times we, we seek out restoration because we just want to be forgiven. But that's not the case. David knew that his life was messed up. I mean, we continue reading throughout the, the Old Testament there, and you find that God ends up taking that little baby. David knew that there was problems. And David is seeking out restoration, not just, Lord, please forgive me, but Lord, my life is a wreck. Everything is, is chaotic. Everything is disorderly. And I'm seeking out restoration for my life. Not just so I can be forgiven, but so that God, you can put back the broken pieces of my life back together. Because I can't do it. And is that not true of our lives? There's so many times in our lives when, when chaos comes, when, when there's a disconnect from the Lord, that we just think, well, I'll just go to church. Maybe that'll help. Or, you know, I'll, I'll start trying to do more Christian things. That'll help. But God is, doesn't want that. He wants us to come to him to seek out restoration so that he, he can put it all back together for us. And so there needs to be a purity in the restoration. God wanted truth in David's life. So here's a good question to ask. Do I pursue after purity and truth in my life? Am I just seeking out for forgiveness or am I pursuing after truth? David says the inward being, that's where you delight in truth. Purity and truth have profound effects on our life. Look at this text here. The Bible tells us it brings us wisdom. It tells us that it brings cleanliness and joy and gladness and rejoicing. It tells us that it brings a removal of guilt. It brings a clean heart and a right spirit. All of this comes from pursuing after truth? Yep, sure does. That's why we must get back to pursuing after God. Pursuing after truth. Pursuing after purity in our lives. Running towards Him as our only source of of life is what we need to be doing. So restoring purity, are, am I and you, are we actively pursuing after truth in our lives? I like what David says here. He says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And notice this, purge me with hyssop. When they would bring the uh, animal sacrifices to the altar there, they would have to thoroughly examine that animal. Many times they would look for defects. And if there was a defect, 
then they would not use it. That's why God was so angry. That's why Jesus was so angry when he goes into the temple and they were selling all the animals there. And he goes out and he turns over the tables of money changers because they were selling animals that were, had defects. And he's saying, what is this? This is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so they would take that animal and they would thoroughly examine it. And they would sometimes open it up even to examine and make sure that that animal was fit for a sacrifice. And David's saying, just like that, he's saying, God, I want you to examine me completely. May I open myself. May I make myself vulnerable to you, God, to completely examine me and find truth in me. Now that's a hard thing to do because all of us have secret places in our hearts that we do not wish to open up to God. And God says, I want to examine those places. I want to search for truth in those places. And as we pursue after truth, God begins to show us those places that don't have purity in them, that don't have truth. And we turn those over to God and we say, God, you can have that. Lord, you can have that. God, I want to be completely, wholly truthful on the inside. So restoring purity in our life. Now remember, restoration is the goal. God wishes to bring everything back into order. But there has to be work done on the inside. That's what David was doing here. And he was searching out for truth in his life. Now I love this next part. Because this is where God brings restoration back to what it's supposed to be. And restoration, sometimes I think, you know... Um, how many of you have been over to the Essen House uh, for their car shows? Okay, how many have been? Okay, yeah. They have some really neat cars over there, okay? They have some hot rods, they have rat rods, they have some cars that have been restored. I mean, sometimes people spend hours and hours taking that junky piece of broken down metal and they bring it back to its former glory and you're going, wow, that's amazing, okay? I think this is where we, we don't understand about restoration with what God's doing, okay? God is just not, he is not satisfied in restoring us to what we were. God wants to restore us into a better place that we never were. There's a refining process that takes place in restoration. And we're going to see that here in these next few verses. But God wants to bring us to a place where it's not just like, okay, yeah, I got, I got all these things back together. This is working out good, and this is happening, and, and this is good, and this is good. And boy, everything seems to be going right again. No. God just doesn't want to put all the pieces back together. He wants to make the pieces better. He wants to give us a new sense of hope, a, a different thing to look at. And this is what we're going to look at here with restoration. So let's look here thirdly. Not only restoring purity, but the purpose of restoration. What is the purpose of restoration? Notice in Psalm 51, verse 16 through 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Remember what I said, restoration is the goal? 
Well, here's where we see the purpose of restoration. God is trying to get us to a place where we realize we need restoration, where we need, realize we need purity, where we realize we need truth and holiness on the inward man. And when we recognize that, we need, when we recognize that we have that need, then God brings us to this amazing revelation of himself. Why do we need to be restored? Well, verses 16 through 17 tell us why. What is David making reference to here? Look at the text again. He talks about sacrifices, burnt offerings, and he mentions again there, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. What is David making reference to? He's talking about worship. Why do we need to be restored? Because we were created for God's pleasure. Why do we need to be restored? Because we were created for worship. Why do we need to be restored? Because we were created to worship Him. And David has realized that his life, the worship that was once there, was now broken. The fellowship was gone, there was a disconnect, there was problems, there was catastrophe and chaos in his life. And he seeks after God and he says, have mercy on me, God. He says, God, I want you to search inwardly and find, find those things that have caused the disconnect. And I'm going to confess those things before you so you can restore me back to worship. Now here's the key. Worship should never be the same as it once was when you first got saved. I remember the day that I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Boy, that was a great day. I remember that. I remember the joy and the gladness. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I love this. But as time went on, God revealed more and more of himself to me. And I learned how to worship him more. I learned how to love him more. And that's what God's trying to do through restoration, is he brings us to a place that says, listen, I'm not through, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm restoring you so you can worship me more, so you can love me more, so you can learn more about me, and you can worship me in a greater way. And that's exactly what God is doing in David's life here. He's restoring his worship. Notice the verses here preceding verse number 16. Look what the Bible says here. He tells us this. He says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God, for my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So worship here has an effect, really, on our life. It affects how we influence other people. So get this, let's get this in our mind here. Our lives have been broken. We're seeking after restoration in our lives. God say, I'm restoring you to worship. And that worship in turn affects other people. So could it be a reason why that God has allowed certain things to come into your life? Absolutely. Because he wants your worship to affect and influence other people. David says that now I am going to teach transgressors. 
I'm going to tell other people. My mouth, my lips is going to sing about your praises. And that's what restoration does. It affects our worship. David even knows here, no amount of religious mechanical worship is not pleasing to God. Look what he says in verse number 16. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. He says, you'll not be pleased with the burnt offering. David says, if there's some kind of sacrifice, God, if there's some kind of burnt offering that I could give that would restore worship, restore what I need in my life, he said, I would do it. I mean, God, if you want five cows, it's done. God, if you want two lambs, no problem, I'll get them. But David knew that there was no form of mechanical worship that would restore what he needed on the inside. And notice what he says here. He says, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. I think it's pretty awesome that our worship is connected with this because we don't worship God. We don't really worship God until we are broken on the inside. Because when we are broken, that's when we see God for who he is and how great he is. We see God for, for what he can do in our lives and his love and his mercy in our lives. And David here, he's praying and saying, God, you want a broken spirit. You want a contrite heart. In Isaiah 66, 2, the Lord says, These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who go to church all the time. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong thing. He says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. A contrite heart is one in which the natural pride and self-sufficiency have been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt. In other words, it's been crushed. You know, us guys, we kind of have this uh, thing about us that, yeah, look what I've done. Pretty cool, aren't I? <laughs> and you know how, how it makes you feel when someone goes, well, that's stupid. <laughs> it crushes you. It's like, how dare you tell me that that's stupid? Well, that's the thing. When we come before God, we don't come before him saying, oh, thank you, God. I'm so glad I'm saved. But it's the fact that we come before God with a broken spirit, a crushed heart. And that's when worship happens. Because we stand in awe of God. We stand in awe of Jesus Christ and how great he has done for us. A contrite heart does not look at the cross and say, oh, wow, thanks, God. A contrite heart looks at the cross and says, oh, God, thank you for your mercy. A contrite, broken heart looks towards Jesus and says, Jesus, I thank you for shedding your blood for my sin. And that's where David was here. He says, look, I need to be restored back to worship with you, God. I need to have that, that, that restoration in my life. So what about us? Are we in need of restoration? 
Are you living up to your purpose in life and worshiping God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart? Is it, have mercy on me, God? Is it, Lord, I need your restoration? David needed restoration in his life. Not because he got caught. Not because he knew things were just not right. But because he knew that he needed to be restored to worship God for his purpose of what he was created to do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to look into your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning that all of us would seek out restoration. I pray, Lord, that we would spend some time, possibly even this afternoon, to reflect on areas in our life, areas in our heart that is not broken. It's not broken of, over sin. It's not broken over, over our guilt. And God, I pray that you will reveal to us those areas that need to be restored. Lord, I pray for those that it just have so much chaos in their life right now. God, it just seems like everything is just falling apart. It just seems like everything is just not going the way that it's supposed to go. But God, you love them and you are pursuing after them with a steadfast love, with abundant mercy, and you desire to restore them to worship. Lord, I desire to be restored to worship with you. Help me on a daily basis to seek and pursue after purity and truth in my life. Thank you so much for your love for us. And we ask this in your name.